0: Hello everybody, a warm welcome to an online broadcast from Trinity Church. This is a video for Sunday the 17th of May 2020. We're delighted that you're watching and joining with us wherever you're doing that in the world. You're most welcome indeed as we worship God together today and hear him speak in his living word. Listen to these words of call to worship. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Amen. We're going to say these words of confession of sin. Words that help us to come to God in repentance and in faith. Loving Heavenly Father, at this time of great uncertainty in our country and around the world, we pray that people would turn to you for stability and comfort. And we pray particularly for those who don't yet know Jesus, that through some means, in the midst of all that is happening, they would hear the good news about him. Grant them repentance and a knowledge of the truth, that they may know you and the secure joy of eternal life in him. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Gracious Lord, we confess that we have dishonoured you in our thoughts, words and deeds. Depending on our own strength, we have stumbled. Glorying in our own righteousness, we have rejected you. Turning our faces from you, we know what it is like to desire the things of this world to satisfy us. We pray now, Lord, for you to forgive our many sins, to banish the darkness from our lives and to turn our faces and our hearts back to you. We pray these things in the name of your most precious Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here is God's assurance of pardon, words that we treasure week by week, don't we, as God speaks them to us from his word for all who confess their sins to him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Amen. Our Bible reading today is from the book of Acts, and it's the book of Acts chapter 14. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through to the end of the chapter, verse 28. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by sending you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith, to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Amen. Well, I wonder if you'd agree with me, these are days of ignorance, aren't they? I'm not sure that I've ever felt before there is so much important stuff happening in the world that I just do not know anything about. So many questions I don't know the answer to. When will lockdown end? When will schools reopen? Should they reopen? Will there be a vaccine discovered? And then, of course, there are wider issues, aren't there? Is the cure for COVID-19, this lockdown that we're in at the minute, is the cure going to end up being worse than than the disease itself? Might more people in the long run die from global poverty, mental health problems, all the medical complaints that we're now keeping to ourselves instead of taking to the doctors like we normally would? There is a staggering amount of things about the way the world is right now that we just do not know. And we just do not know what the right thing to do is. And there is a staggering amount of things about the future that we do not know. The when, the why, the how, the where of things reopening and getting going again. There is a lot of ignorance around. We live with it. Can I Can I just encourage you, as we're watching this together, wherever you're watching in the world... Let let our ignorance at the minute humble you. It's humbling me. It should humble all of us and and not lead us to harass others. I think that is going to be a challenge ahead of us as things begin to reopen. Be very humble and gracious towards church leaders or school uh, school leaders, politicians, government leaders, people making decisions. Many people are making decisions in the dark because we just don't know. We just don't know. Some ignorance is acceptable. Some ignorance is understandable. Some ignorance is there to, to humble us and to level us and to bring us down and to say, we are just creatures. We do not know the end from the beginning. Can we cut each other some slack, please? But, friends, but, that is not the only kind of ignorance there is. Some ignorance is not okay. Some ignorance is not okay. There are some things we don't know, and it is not okay that we don't know them. Do you know what speed you were travelling at, sir? The policeman says as he knocks your window and you wind it down. Do you know what speed you were going? No, sorry, I don't. Well, that is not okay—not to know. You—you you were doing forty, sir, in the twenty miles per hour zone. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know it was a twenty and you have to tell the judge in court one day you didn't know it was a 20, it will not matter. It doesn't change the fact it's not okay not to know it. Here we are today in Acts chapter 14. The gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth. The gospel is now getting a hearing from people who have never before heard of the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people are coming to faith for the very first time. So here is a passage today to help us with what we say to others in sharing the gospel and what we need to know ourselves in order to keep believing the gospel. Those are two good things, aren't they? How do I share the gospel with others and how do I preach the gospel to myself and hold on to it? I want to show you two things from the preaching and teaching of Paul and Barnabas, two things that they tell the world and tell believers it is not okay not to know. Number one, it is not okay not to know whose world you're in. It's not okay not to know whose world you're in. Number two, it's not okay not to know which path you're on. It's not okay not to know which path you're on. Number one, it's not okay not to know whose world you're in. This is one way of sharing the gospel with with people, saying to people around you, Do you know whose world this is? Finding a way of saying to them, look, it's not okay not to know who this all belongs to. You think it's your world, but it's not. It's God's world. And it is not okay not to know the living God who made it and who owns you, who made you, who loves you. It is not okay to be ignorant of that. Now friends, I get all of this from verses 15 to 17. Of our passage this morning. This is where my language comes from. He, here's the heart of today's sermon, verse 15. Paul and Barnabas say, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. See, what's happening here in Lystra, because Paul and Barnabas perform a miracle of healing a crippled man, Paul and Barnabas meet people who do not know the living God and who've been walking in their own ways. And God has been patient with that ignorance up to now. Up to now, God has allowed that ignorance. He has been patient with it. See that in verse 16? And yet, even then, in every corner of the globe, God put huge, big signposts to himself, great big arrows pointing to him, megaphones shouting out his goodness, so that men and women all over the world would look at the world they're in and then look up to him and see him and find him. They should be able to tell whose world it is. You see verse 17, although he allowed a certain kind of ignorance... Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You see, the gospel, as it goes out into the world here in this chapter, what it's saying is this, that the good news of Jesus means this is not a superstitious world. This is not a superstitious world. That's the issue here, isn't it? For for Paul and Barnabas, they perform a miracle. It's amazing. Verses 9 and 10. And immediately, a, a man crippled from birth healed. Immediately, the people who see it misunderstand it. When the crowds, verse 11, saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in their language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They see something and they get completely the wrong end of the stick. You know, sometimes people say, you've probably heard this, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. It's a nice idea, isn't it, that our our actions should be so full of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and his goodness that the, the simple fact of doing these wonderful things should show people who God is. But actually, that is not true, is it? Actions might speak louder than words, but actions rarely speak more clearly than words. Actions on their own are always interpreted, aren't they, through the lens of the people seeing the action. No, actions need to be interpreted with words, explained. And in these people's culture here, there was a local legend that Zeus and his son Hermes once came down from the gods on high and visited the area disguised as mortal men and they destroyed all the regions that were not hospitable to them, that did not look after them. So what's happening here is that people see this miracle, assume that maybe this is the legend of the gods visiting them again and they are desperate to get the gods favour, desperate to be treated well by them and So they assume that Paul and Barnabas are gods in their world and that they can make the gods kind to them, can twist their arm, can earn their favour. That is like our world, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I think this is so like our world. Despite our science, despite our technology, we live in a superstitious world. We live in a superstitious world. I, I never walk under ladders, somebody told me just a few years ago. Watch out for black cats. Count the number of magpies on the lawn. Touch wood. Fingers crossed. All of those things are forms of ignorance about whose world we're in. Uh, the, the former manager of Tottenham Hotspur, uh, when Tottenham Hotspur got their brand new stadium, Pochettino, uh, the Argentinian manager, when when Tottenham got their brand new stadium, state of the art on every level, the most technologically advanced stadium in all the world, the manager of Tottenham Hotspur kept in his office on his desk every day a bowl of fresh lemons. When reporters asked him why why all the lemons on your desk, he answered to produce good energy into the room, to absorb bad energy, to promote positivity, the kind of energy we want flowing through the room. The coronavirus is Mother Nature fighting back. Have you heard people say that? This is the earth taking its revenge on us. This is the universe pressing reset. Friends, all of that, everything from lemons on a desk to Mother Nature to touching wood and crossing fingers, all of it comes from not knowing whose world this is. Look how Paul and Barnabas explain the gospel, the good news here. There is a living God, verse 16, a living God who made everything and who gives to the people he made good gifts to make them glad, verse 17. Good gifts. There is a creator, not blind chance. The world is ruled, not chaotic. The one who made the earth is good. He doesn't need to have his arm twisted to give good gifts you see just think about it does my daughter want to live in a world where she only gets good things if she manages to walk to the shops and back every single time not stepping on the cracks in the pavement you know that kind of game the kind of game kids kids play walking along you're not allowed to touch the cracks in the pavement and only if she makes it to the shop not touching the cracks will she get anything good do you want do you want to live in a world like that Does she want to live in a world where good things happen if you don't do superstitious things and bad things happen if you do? Or does she want to live in a world where I walk to the shops with her and buy her something simply because I love her and walk home holding her hand safely? What kind of world do we live in? See, in in other words, Paul is saying to this crowd of pagans who want to worship him, why are you worshipping me when the very world you live in should be a pointer to God himself? Open your eyes, Paul is saying. Look, I didn't send you the rain or cause the sun to rise this morning. I haven't put food on your table. Or I haven't given you all the joy in your heart as you taste and touch and feel and see all these things. But don't you think that someone must have given them to you? I think what Paul is unpicking here is the universal tendency, he sees this all around him in Lystra here, the universal human tendency to take the gifts from the giver and to make that gift itself the God that we worship and lay ourselves before, instead of taking the gift in our hands and opening our eyes to see the living God who made heaven and earth and gave it all to us, we take the gift and we keep our eyes down. We don't really see. And friends, part of sharing the gospel is saying to people, this is not okay. This is not okay. It is not okay to be ignorant in this way with God's good gifts, to not know whose world we live in. C.S. Lewis beautifully called this the sweet poison of the false infinite. The sweet poison of the false infinite. We allow substitute things to be false infinite things. False infinites to fill the horizon of our worship. Something that is finite, small, God given a gift. We make infinite. We make it everything. And it poisons us. You know, entomologists have done experiments in which they entice male butterflies with a painted cardboard replica of a female of their species. So instead of a real female butterfly, a painted replica female butterfly. And the male butterfly excited mounts the cardboard butterfly again and again and again, even as the real female butterfly is nearby opening her wings to the male this, the sweet poison of the substitute, the sweet poison of the substitute, the false, the unreal, takes the place of the real. And of course, when we do that, when we do that, the effects of the poison is so much worse, isn't it? In our systems and in our world, the idols that we worship destroy us. Think about pornography. Pornography. A real woman, a a living, loving wife, and her body becomes irrelevant to a, a husband, a man enslaved in pornography. He now only cares for the false and the substitute, the sweet poison of the false infinite eroding him from the inside out. Think about sport. Think about the emptiness many, many people have known in these last months without sport in our lives. Did you know that when Michael Jordan, the basketball player, when he retired from playing basketball, he earned twice as much money in one year. When he retired twice as much money in one year from all his endorsements as all the U.S. presidents in world history have ever earned from all their terms of office combined and put together. Now just stop and think about it. If we live in a world where we pay a sportsman twice as much for not playing the sport which made him famous, then we pay our presidents. Something is wrong. Something has been replaced at the heart of our value system. A false infinite. Something we worship that should not be worshipped. We are telling you, Paul says, verse 15... To turn from these worthless things to the living God. Let go of vanity and folly and embrace life. Turn from it. See, the gospel is always confrontational. It's confrontational at the level of our thinking, at the level of our lifestyles, the the cherished beliefs and value systems. And Christians who speak and share the gospel are not not afraid to say, this is worthless and this is precious. That is wrong and this is right. This is the message of repentance. Do this, don't do that. Choose life, choose this path. It is not okay not to know whose world this is, not to know who runs it. And so number two, friends, second point, it's not okay not to know what path you're on. It's not okay not to know what path you're on. Not just not okay not to know whose world it is. It is not okay not to know which road you are meant to be walking. See, I find it here in this passage, I find it, well, I find it hugely encouraging as a pastor that when Paul and Barnabas make these disciples, you see from verse 19 onwards, when they make these disciples, they go out of their way to mature the disciples. See that in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them. In a city called Derby, they make disciples, but then they go back to Lystra for follow up. They, they retrace their steps all the way back that they came. You see in verse 22, strengthening and encouraging. Paul is actually trying to make it here to Antioch in verse 26. That's where he's heading, verse 26 to Antioch. And at one point, in all of this meandering around, at one point, he is only 200 miles from Antioch. But by retracing his steps all the way back that he came, by going all the way back again, verse 21, he only in the end makes it to Antioch by a 600 mile round trip. Could have been 200, but instead he goes back and eventually it takes him 600 miles. Why make such a long journey when it could have been relatively so short? Here's another thing. Notice verse 21. They returned to Lystra. What happened to them in Lystra? Look at verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if that had happened to me in Lystra, if I had been nearly stoned to death, that would be one city. If I never saw it again, it would be too soon. Today, we would talk about... PTSD, wouldn't we? We'd have post-traumatic stress disorder. We would find it triggering, too upsetting to go back. All sorts of immensely valid reasons never to have to set foot in a place like that again. And yet Paul goes back to where he nearly died to encourage all the disciples and to strengthen them, telling them what verse 22 Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Ah, friends, there it is. There it is. Do you see it? Paul and Barnabas know what path they are on to glory. They know what road they are walking all the way to heaven. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. They know that the road to glory where Christ is ruling as king is an assault course, not a sandy beach. They know the road that they're on, and that is why they go back to where they nearly died. That is why they choose not to get to Antioch by the 200-mile route, but to keep retracing their steps so that they can encourage and teach and strengthen the believers and tell them that life with Christ is going to be tough. That's why it's worth taking 600 miles. Because they want to encourage and to strengthen and they want these believers to know it is not okay not to know the kind of road you're on with Christ. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so I I want to ask you today as you're watching this. I want to ask you not just if you know whose world you're in. But I want to ask you that if you're walking with Christ If you really know what path you're on, if you can really see it, if you really know it. Have have you heard God telling you before, like he is telling you today, you must go through many tribulations to enter his kingdom? You must. You often see this in airports, don't you? First class check in. It's off there over to the side. It's for the fortunate few, and you watch them just seeming to skip through. It's bright, it's open, it's airy. And on they sail through the side door into paradise. And the rest enter over here through all the tribulations of long queues and full body searches and uh, all the hassle of travelling. But you see, in the kingdom of God, there is no first class queue. There is no little side door off to the side that people can just sail through, that only some people get to go through. No, narrow is the gate that leads to life, the Lord Jesus said. Narrow is the gate. In other words, you have to be small to get through it. You have to bow down low. You have to decrease yourself in humility and pride. You have to come to God tiny like a little child. Paul and Barnabas know that God's people limp to glory. Because Christ walked this road, didn't he? Jesus went to glory via Calvary, the cross before the crown. Brothers and sisters, it is not okay to not know what path you're on. You are on the suffering path the crucifixion path and the reason it's not okay to not know what path you're on is because if you don't know it when you realize it when you learn what path you're on you will get off it if it takes you by surprise it's not okay not to know what life with Christ is like you know William still who was the former minister of Gilcomson South here in Aberdeen many years ago, 1979 I think it was, he gave an address called the Minister as Feeder of Souls. What do we feed to people? We feed people Christ, the bread of heaven. And Christ as living bread was broken, wasn't he? His flesh and blood poured out for the world. That's what ministers give to Christ's people. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Ah, said William Still, here's a thing. Here's a thing you need to know. Here is a dying saviour. But look, standing here is a living, thriving, confident, gifted preacher. That's what happens, isn't it? The world over in our churches, in our pulpits. How do men like that take Christ's bleeding, broken body and feed it to people? Ah, says William Still, God has just the method He kills the preacher too. He lays his ministers in the dust. He breaks the minister. And the people feed on Christ as Christ is ministered to them by a preacher who has died too. It's a very profound point, isn't it? It's a wonderful point. Isn't it just like Paul here in our passage, verses 19 and 20? The minister who returns to the place of death. To the place where he nearly died to strengthen the souls of the disciples he loves. And to encourage them in the in the faith. Friends, not everybody watching this of course is in ministry. But if you are in ministry and you are not braced four square, four tribulations, it is not okay. This is your road for every single one of us watching, there are tribulations all around us, aren't they? I I know this is true. I know they're there for you right now. Employment or unemployment. Grief and loss and the bitter end of hopes and dreams that you've cherished and nurtured for years. And now they've come crashing down around you in some part of your life. There's childlessness in marriage. The pain of it. The unbelief of your children. You have years behind you that you feel you've wasted. You came to Christ late in life. If only you could go back. Depression. The blackness of mind and heart that just won't seem to lift. And and here is God's word, friends, to us today. Here is God's word saying to us that the road to heaven is an assault course. It is not a summer meadow. That's how you know you belong to the Christ of the cross when our path we're on looks like his path. Cross before crown. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful side to this. You know, four years ago, uh, we drove our children to Devon for a summer holiday for the very first time. I think the journey is nine hours, 10 hours. It feels about 19, 20 hours. Let me assure you that that first journey, getting my family to Devon, six of us, it was ugly. Six of us in a combined space, we drove ugly. Only one of us, not at all irritating in any way. Only one. And there were tears and squabbles shouting. There was trouble. And it seemed to last forever. The road just stretched ahead of us. On and on it went. And the children had no idea that journeys could take so long. What a surprise to small children to discover that life life could be this awful, this terrible, trapped. And then as we drove at 6pm on Friday night, we, we turned one corner and there in front of us, The house that we were going to be staying in filled our gaze, filled the horizon. Let me assure you that the ugliness of the journey evaporated in a moment just like that. And children tumbled out of the car. They could not believe this building that we were going to be staying in. The the sights and the sounds and the smells and the beauty of what had been prepared for us exceeded all our expectations. It was beyond all comparison and estimate. And do you know what, friends? Do you know what that means today? What we went through, that, that road that we travelled, do you know what it means today? In our family, not one person complains. If mum and dad say, kids, let's go to Devon. Let's drive to Devon for our summer holiday. In a flash, they would be out the door without thinking twice. Not one child complains. They drop everything in a flash. They know the path. They know what it will be like. They know what it will cost. They know how much it will hurt. They know how much it will seem to go on forever and ever. But they know what is waiting for them at the end. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is you listen as we worship God together today. May God help us to know whose world this is we live in. May God help us to know whose road it is we're walking, the road of Christ our Saviour, our crucified King. Our crucified and risen King now waiting for us in glory to welcome his people and to call us home through the tribulations to glory and to his side. May you hear his living voice today. Amen.